Welcome to 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo, where I help passionate entrepreneurs condense an hour of business research into 22 minutes of powerful conversations filled with knowledge, stories, and advice to help you achieve your one-year goal in 90 days. From national stages to your earbuds, I'm here to tell you that it's possible to have a profitable and sustainable business without the fear of overwhelm and uncertainty that comes with being an entrepreneur. It's all mojo and none of the fluff. It's time to get motivated in 22 minutes. Welcome back to this week's episode of 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo. And this is our brand performance podcast. Now, today's performance conversation is with our special guest, Daniel Weingarten. Now, Daniel Weingarten is a lead faculty at Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses. He's really given some amazing growth and insight into entrepreneurs and how to grow their business by telling their best story and understanding that language is meaningful to the listener. So we're going to have a rich conversation about that. And also, you know, there's just persuasive words and numbers to tell because there's so much that goes into that and how we communicate to present a story. That's where we're going to have this conversation today. So Daniel, thank you for being a guest of ours. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to it. Absolutely. Okay. So this is where I want to start this conversation because our audience, you know, I would love to get your insight on how you see the difference between somebody being an entrepreneur or somebody being like a small business owner. Is there a differentiator? And if so, what is that? I think that there are differences in entrepreneurship types or scale of business. And this is something that I think that we do a poor job of institutionally in terms of helping entrepreneurs. The advice that you give a small business that intends to become big, you know, say a blue ocean tech company, is vastly different than the advice that you give to a family scale business that is intended to always stay relatively small. They have different needs. They have different attitudes towards debt. They have different attitudes towards pricing and use of equity or retained earnings in order to grow. And, you know, one of the the bad parts about a lot of the technical assistance that's available to entrepreneurship small business owners is that we don't do a good job of differentiating that this program is really better suited for this type of entrepreneur and this for another type of entrepreneur. That that clarity is often missing. Mm, yeah. there And there's a big, I, I totally agree with you on that one. And there's a huge distinction, distinction between, you know, what you're saying as far as like debt and pricing and equity. There's some conversations there that I think entrepreneurs don't look at as much as a small business owner would. So in today's current climate, right? We've really experienced some massive change just worldwide. What are you seeing or witnessing when it comes to long game thinking for an entrepreneur or small business at this point? COVID's obviously had huge disruptions in customer relationships and labor availability in supply chain. It's exacerbated long-term trends in terms of decline of retail and increase of online, a whole host of moving pieces going on at once. And, you know, I, I see probably 200, 250 some 
businesses a year from fairly high tech and large scale manufacturing to main street retail. And the, you know, clearly there are industries that are hurt harder, transportation, restaurants, travel, anything entertainment related has just been devastating. I happen to be a big country music fan and every single artist that I see online is saying, it's been such a weird year not performing in front of audiences, right? And it's like, I don't even remember my own lyrics anymore. It's been so long since I've been up in front of an audience. Well, then you have to look at, okay, these differences in impact and still I would say 30% of the businesses that I have contact with actually have grown through the pandemic. They found some way to either be in the path of growth or they've pivoted into the needs of the pandemic. Another 30% probably are just flat on their back. If not, they're already dead. You know, they're just waiting for access to the bankruptcy courts. It's really just been devastating. And that leaves that middle, I don't know, somewhere between uh, 40 and 50% probably that are just getting along, you know, hoping that maybe things will be better after the pandemic. I'm not a big believer um, in waiting for somebody else to save us or to save me. So I really respect those that have made even fundamental changes in their business to respond to the pandemic. It's a hard thing to do, but I think it's necessary. Just piling on debt is not going to help balance sheets, and there's going to be more failures uh, after pandemic is over. It's the, but I've seen some pretty ingenious uh, pivots in the course of the uh, the pandemic in order to respond to what's been going on from, you know, just basic things like a an automobile or truck detailing company that said, you know, our job here is to sanitize uh, semi-trucks or transportation trucks in between drivers to avoid the spread into your entire driver pool of talent because we already have a shortage of commercial uh, driver's license, you know, truck drivers. Okay. That was a pretty slick move and they've done well. Okay. You know, that's a fairly basic business that has benefited. Others have just, you know, changed their product line. I've, you know, I've seen companies that are in the the sanitation supply or healthcare field, of course, have really done well because they've been in the, what was kind of, you know, kind of a side focus now becomes mission critical for almost everybody. A lot of uh, tech responses, even in the scheduling of the vaccine appointments, that the private sector has done a much better job of that than government at any level. I believe in it. Yeah. I, and uh, yeah, as we're listening, I, I love your clarity to helping people understand just those percentages, you know, and being able to understand what category people are really falling within. And then also, like you said, 40 to 50% are just kind of going through the motions, waiting to be saved. But do you, in your opinion, Daniel, and I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire, fire, are they going to be saved? Oh, I really worry about just burdening balance sheets with more debt. Uh, the way that the PPP loans, the Paycheck Protection Program loans have been structured, uh, you know, everybody's counting on forgiveness, but the, the terms of forgiveness are have been constantly changing, difficult. The Small Business Administration has basically left all the hard lifting 
uh, to the banks to both issue the loans and then to enforce the loans after the fact. So it's the banks that are the bad guys, even though they're really doing the work of the SBA in terms of what the rules are. And I just don't see how adding a lot of debt on top of a lot of small businesses that were already relatively low margin operations to begin with has a happy outcome, either in terms of for the owner, um, you know, for government for that matter, and collection of the of those loans that aren't collectible, uh, or for that matter, the number of employees that uh, small business owner support. I, I think we have a lot of stress to go through in the aftermath of uh, the pandemic as a lot of those jobs are not going to be easy to be restored. Now, interestingly enough, new business formation has been good during the pandemic as a lot of people that lost jobs said, now's the time to do something on my own and maybe use some of the technologies that are out there in order to participate in um, the coming market. So, you know, there's still plenty of opportunity for innovation. So the, I think to succeed, those that are gonna succeed are going to feature innovation, using new technologies, respecting the changes in consumer preferences or tastes. And it, you can't be passive. If all you've done is loaded up on debt, that's not a good formula for future success. Yeah, no. And and I, <laughs> you just call it so straight. I mean, your experience with the Goldman Sachs, you know, um, grouping is, is monumental. Now, give us some insight. How did you get involved in that? For somebody who's not familiar with the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small businesses, what are you doing specifically to support them and, and guide them through these times? Well, I had a background in starting and running a venture capital fund through a full 10 years of operations. And when I started doing a venture capital fund in the upper Midwest, most people had no clue what the difference was between debt and equity. And there was an education piece in just doing that. And it's really where I learned the trick of, you know, double checking if people told the same story with both their words and their numbers. You know, if, if the words and the numbers of a business don't agree, uh, they're either lying to you or they're lying to themselves, whether intentionally or unintentionally, uh, because there's got to be some internal consistency. Uh, and, I, you know, God help me, but I'm a lawyer by original training, but I learned finance by necessity. Uh, and what I discovered was that a lot of my finance friends that just started with the numbers can still mistake the spreadsheet for the business. And that getting into the details of the assumptions or, you know, whether the words are telling you the same story, those are the double checks to make sure that you're really looking at the business and really understanding the market and the customer, not, you know, just running fancy spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> I got into doing uh, when I, you know, got out of, and frankly, our venture capital fund was, did well. Uh, it was in the top quintile of peer year funds, but that's not enough. 
to really be successful, you have to be in the top 5% of funds. So we did not do a round two or a fund two, and we merged our fund into a larger fund with a similar purpose. Uh, The Iowa Rural Vitality Fund continues to be successful. Uh, Interestingly enough, one of its big successes was Harris Vaccine with the new vaccine technology, which we see with messenger RNA being used by uh, in the COVID uh, crisis uh, on the human side of the equation. Harris was more focused on animal vaccines, uh, but that did give me some exposure to the preparation for what's going on now. I, I tried to retire from running uh, the Papa John accelerator in North Iowa a couple of years ago, and it just happened to be when Goldman Sachs came in with their 10,000 small business program to do a statewide program in Iowa. And it's the curriculum there is developed by Babson College, which is forever the the, the best undergraduate program in uh, entrepreneurship in the country, and some really top notch materials. Um, and they asked me to to participate, and it's kind of hard to turn down the the opportunity to work with Goldman Sachs and Babson, and for that matter, our host institution in Iowa. Uh, is Des Moines Area Community College. And the the team there just did a fabulous job in rolling out this program nation or in, inside the state. Um, I've since also taught the national program in Boston and had more time with uh, the original authors of the curriculum from Babson College. And they really do a practical job of looking at four or five big things that drive success, including, interestingly enough, given your interest, a real focus on leadership and the need to uh, manage the culture of a business and to understand motivation of individuals. You know, it's always tough to manage yourself. That's the hardest part. You know, managing yourself as the leader is always the most difficult challenge. Uh, but you still have to be able to persuade or motivate people who have different personalities from yourself and build a team of diverse talents. And that almost always means diverse personalities as well. You know, the analytic, detail-focused person requires something other than the, the big vision, goal-oriented person. Yes. And you've, yeah, you definitely hit it spot on. And, you know, we know that people are our greatest asset and we have to tap into them in such a way. And that's where you can say managing culture. It is such a key element to success. So you mentioned that. And, as, and it's the one thing you can't delegate because if you right. leave it to chance, it goes to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So you mentioned that one, Daniel, but what are you, you say there's five key areas. What are the yeah. other four? Yeah. One of them is just really understanding your numbers and what drives growth. I mean, the, it, you know, if, if there was a shocking experience in running the accelerator and working uh, with a lot of small businesses is, you know, how few people could get past the P&L statement at the end of the year. And for the most part, that P&L statement was intended for the IRS. And it was, you know, we just got to get that filed. It wasn't used actively for management. Um, and so you really have to understand uh, the numbers. And in particular, understanding cash flow is a big problem for businesses because a lot of small businesses and owners, entrepreneurs, 
because it's as important when the money shows up as how much money shows up. Uh, and you know, the day-to-day game of small business is cash flow. PNL is just kind of calling the score at the end of the quarter or at the end of the year. But if you're, you know, there's two ways to go broke. Uh, you know, you can have uh, liabilities exceed assets. But in truth, most small businesses go broke because they can't meet their obligations when they come due, when a loan payment or a vendor wants paid because I haven't got paid by a customer. Okay, that's cash flow management. So cash flow management and understanding cash flow and the balance sheet, you know, those are really empowering things that the Goldman Sachs focuses on. Uh, understanding customer and marketing, you know, that's really important. That's another version of telling your best story in language that's meaningful to the listener uh, because it's not enough to go tell the customer, oh, buy from me because it's good for me. Mm, no, the, the customer has, has to buy because it's good for them, right? Right, right. Okay. And so you have to have to do this mental flip into the language of the customer and tell them, you know, this classic, what's, why do I care or what's in it for me from the, for the customer, right? But that getting focus of getting into the head of the customer, um, you know, it's easy for some, for some small businesses that started out as the customer before they got into the business because they understand it or they've been, you know, they've worn all the hats within uh, kind of that ecosystem. Um, but there are so many people that have never been on the other side of the equation and don't really know why their customer buys. And that's a real limitation on potential for growth. I agree. And I see that one regularly. That's yeah. just a misunderstanding of, of you know, what to say and, and who that customer is. It's crazy, but it's it, truth. It, it is. And, and then, you know, the, the, the personnel or the leadership side of the equation has got a couple of different coins. I mean, one is you really, most of us hate to be micromanaged, okay? And yet we're trying to create a money machine in any business where it doesn't matter who turns the crank, but it will still predictably, you put a dollar in, it will churn out a dollar plus something on the other end on a reliable basis. The more reliable that money machine is, the more valuable your business is because it doesn't require you to operate it. Somebody else can turn the crank and they'll pay you for that. They'll pay for that predictability, okay? But that means you really have to get away from the, you know, the classic small business owner trap of, I'll just do it myself. Because I'm better than anybody else. I'm better at everything in the business. Yeah, well, that may be true, but you can't be better and do everything in the business because then you become the biggest bottleneck in the business because people are waiting for you to do stuff. Uh, That's a limitation on growth and a limitation on success. So unless you figure out how to delegate, that, that skill of delegation of not just how to do it, but why we do it this way and holding people accountable for results, not just, you know, kind of the process. That's a real skill development that is another focus of the Goldman Sachs 
program that's just really practical uh, that I that I have seen just amazing results with people that have gone through the program. And it's one of the reasons I really respect the, the curriculum that uh, Babson developed. So. No, and and I see that that accountability is a key thing. And I think what I find is business owners, they're afraid to hold their people accountable. And actually, there's a, a partnership and an ease of expectation when you do, because when you can both come to the same page and say, I'm falling short because of X, that's where it's an open, beautiful conversation. You can solve a problem. But if you don't even have the opportunity to have the conversation of accountability, there are balls being dropped. And, and think about it from the employee's viewpoint. Would you rather have clear expectations of what you're supposed to do and why and what the outcome is supposed to be or to always be judged after the fact with you know, wishy-washy, unclear standards, unclear processes, unclear objectives? You know, getting, getting processes and reasons out of the owner's head and onto paper into clearly documented processes that other people can replicate is one of the biggest growth uh, empowering steps that a small business owner can make. Yes, yes. And the minute that I see that happen when we implement one simple strategy that allows that to to connect, it is mind-blowing to businesses on the difference it makes. and, and, And it's really surprising because most small business owners will say, I'm better at everything than everybody on my team. Mm. But if they're honest with themselves, there are things that they hate to do and they put off. And you know, maybe it's the accounting. And that's why we don't know what our current numbers are. Because I'm not a, you know, you hear this all the time. I'm not a numbers person. Well, you got you got to learn to be a numbers person if you're going to be in business, okay? Uh, I've yeah, just to show I was young and stupid at one point, uh, the reason I went to law school was I didn't want to be a salesperson. Of course, what I discovered was that everybody's a salesperson. Lawyers, especially, you're either selling yourself, you're selling your idea, you're selling a team, you're selling a product. So you just might as well get comfortable, right? Right. You're going to be in sales if you're going to be successful in work, and that requires effective communication. And now, that was the benefit of law school is, is that um, I went to Iowa, and Iowa had a really early emphasis. The University of Iowa College of Law had a really early emphasis on plain English drafting and speaking, rather than the old style of you know nobody can actually understand what you're writing. Uh, the clarity in thought and speech is really important, and you know that's a key part of leadership. It doesn't matter how smart you are if you can't clearly communicate superiors when you're a business owner or your customers, including, right? Right. No, (laughs) that makes perfect, perfect sense. And no, and, and you're absolutely right. And I think that's why um, from the legal standpoint in business, people are so afraid of it because they don't understand it. It, Now, you know, I, and lawyers are equally bad at this. I mean, I, I, there's about 10% of all the business lawyers out there that are really good at helping you actually proactively run your business. There's an awful lot of lawyers that all they're in the business of is CYA is if I tell you not to do something, it can't be my fault, right? But business people have to do deals. So just, you know, doing the CYA of, no, don't do that deal because it's risky, not a really great answer for a business person. Business person wants to know, okay, how do I do the deal 
minimizing risk. And you know, a really good business attorney will help you do that. And the best business attorneys will also train you or teach you not how to practice law yourself, but you know, how to call the lawyer before I make the fatal mistake. (laughs) (laughs) To see see the fatal mistake coming. (laughs) Know when to dial. And and, and in truth, one of the reasons that I transitioned from law to business, I'm a recovering lawyer, is that I, I concluded that if you end up in court, you're already a loser, okay? Mm. Almost every solution is better if you treat it as a business problem than as a legal problem. Yes, yes. And you can hear, I mean, just listening to you, Daniel, in the way that you describe, and it's, you know, your beautiful simplicity of understanding the whole business landscape, I think, is why you're so successful. I mean, I've seen the receiving end of your work and, and, and you know, have witnessed the businesses that you've worked with and the value that they've received by being aligned to you in that program. And I mean, it's just, it's monumental. And these principles do not go unnoticed. It's very powerful. <laughs> Well, and, and at least one of the, the virtues of the Goldman Sachs program is, is that it helps a wide range of business owners. And at least part of it is the peer-to-peer support of developing other friends who are business owners that you can count on. But I also think one of the roles of the, the faculty and the business advisors in the program is, is helping you to believe as a business owner, oh, I can do this too. You know, there's nothing that different about these other people that have been successful in business. You know, you just kind of have to learn the the secret language of business. And, you know, much of it is common sense if you just, you know, kind of understand what those labels are uh, that, you know, the banker uses or the the accountant uses. And, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can do this. Mm. And particularly, on you know, your emphasis on leadership and and inspiration that i think that may be the biggest you know piece of value is the that being inspired to believe that i can be successful as a leader and a business owner that that twist in perspective from oh you know i don't know what I'm doing. I, I swear 20% of a class coming in is typically on the verge of giving up uh, because of the frustrations of being a small business owner. And then you have this burst of growth and creativity into a peer group that believes in you. Right. Yeah. There's a big portion of that. Like you said, it's headspace, right? It's it's believing that we can and um, knowing that we will. Uh, yeah. There's this, like, you have to be decisive. You have to trust your instincts. Um, you have to be confident. And um, and yes, I, I totally agree with you. And I always like to say, you know, to be inspired, you have to have that vision of clarity. You have to understand what you're, you know, even aiming for. But to be motivated, you've got to have really clear goals. So it all comes down to clarity, but it's inspiration versus goal setting. And there's a complete difference between the two and, and how we do persuade, motivate, and build a diverse team of talent. So you're absolutely right. Okay. So I want to go back and circle back to a question on you know two of those five key areas um, when it comes to understanding numbers as, as our audience is listening to this. I'm just curious, you know, do you find that a lot of entrepreneurs or small businesses bootstrap financially, or do they normally go out for a loan or other kind of financial support when they get started? I think bootstrapping is actually pretty common. And this is a trick that I 
learn from a uh, former CEO at Winnebago is that, you know, the trick is managing by the percentages, you know, the understanding your uh, percentage of revenue that's in different categories, because that lets you do cross comparisons regardless of the size or the scale of the company. The nominal dollars, uh, you know, the accountants need to know that. But from a managerial viewpoint, if you translate into a common denominator, and maybe it's ours uh, to produce something, it, it varies a little bit. Or if you're Bidding on by square foot, you better be able to convert your your costs into square foot as well. Uh, you know things like that. But getting into that common denominator of either a percentage or the hour or the the square foot of however your industry measures things is a really important trick in managing the numbers. Because now I can do cross comparisons to other businesses of different volumes of revenue and get a hold on uh, benchmarking to see, you know, am I spending too much in this category or not enough? That's a real, real good piece of starting to understand uh, how to measure performance. And, you know, there are some other ratios and things that, you know, like uh, liquidity types of measures that I think are really valuable to get a hold on. And, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest ones is, uh, you know, aging of uh, accounts uh, receivable. How long are you letting those accounts receivable go? Right. Real good measure of managerial <laughs> performance. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and, and if, if you let stuff go more than 90 days, yeah. most banks don't treat that as collectible because they assume that there's some issue with the customer why they're not paying. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I mean, this is just such good value. I could keep this conversation for a lifetime because this is just the stuff that this is the world I live in. You and I are so connected in that way. I mean, we love to see other people win, but doing it in a way that's highly effective. I mean, some key principles here that, you know, it's not rocket science. There's some due diligence, but you can win in business, but you have to kind of pull back some of the layers and get down to the core questions, kind of that, um, you know, where is that true frustration? Because those problems can be solved. What are you hearing me say right there, Daniel? Well, you know, to the point of these problems can be solved. One of my rules is to be a good leader. It helps to remember to be a good follower because the lessons you learned as a follower will either teach you what to do as a leader or what not to do as a leader. And particularly on our matrix organizations that we have today where we wear different hats and play different roles or in the gig economy, we're gonna play both leader and follower at the exact same time on different projects. So if we expect others to follow us when we're wearing the leader hat, we also have to be a good follower when we're wearing the follower hat, okay? Uh, but, you know, that, that ability to, you know, kind of flip that perception um, you know, is another trick that I think that good business owners have. Pattern rec- it's, it's part of the pattern recognition skill of an entrepreneur as well is right. we find opportunity in things that happen over and over again. There's a reason for that. What's the reason? How do I serve that need? How do I solve that problem? 
Yes, yes. And I like to, yeah, those are some of the intangibles. Those are the things we think about, but actually you can make them tangible by, by documenting and then highlighting the pattern. And then you're doing more of what works, less of what doesn't. And it reduces the mental friction, right? It sounds so easy, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. (laughs) It does. I, yes. And it, yeah. And I, I love this because we're both laughing because you know what you do, you need to be light and expansive in these conversations because it can be hard. And, you know, yes, we're talking about it being so Pollyanna and so simple, right? But in essence, give yourself a break, right? Well, one of my big lessons is, is that even uh, good leaders need coaches because it's so much harder to apply these principles to yourself when it's your money, your time, or you're maybe too close to the trees to see the forest. So even really good leaders or business people need coaches or confidants that they can rely upon for perspective or advice. And that is another pattern that I've seen is the best leaders have other leaders that they have relationships that they go to and work with. Yes. Yeah. And that's a validator. And I appreciate that. And, you know, that's, that's why I got involved in this space is through my experience of being able to, you know, start a company, rebrand another one, launch my own personal brand, understand what decisions go into that. But through that experience, you know, there's, there's a level of understanding that is necessary in order to bring somebody else through it. And uh, so that's very powerful. Okay. So we're coming to the close of the episode. Where can we find you? What's kind of website, social media, and how can we connect to you? So I write a blog called agingwithfreedom.com with my wife, Lori. And Lori comes with her own business credentials. She's a a career as a senior project manager in uh, commercial real estate construction for First Trammell Crow and C.B. Richard Ellis. And we kind of combine our uh, talents on aging with freedom. Uh, It has some emphasis on successful Uh, retirement. But one of our big observations is that there's this collision going on uh, between retirement and entrepreneurship because for a large share of people, uh, we're either getting out of uh, our business to go into retirement or maybe even more common uh, due to age discrimination and the upper out attitude in corporate America, many of us are doing uh, consulting or our own business when what otherwise would be retirement it kind of means depends upon what you mean by retirement. You know, most people are, uh, does, retirement doesn't mean we're stopping our contributions to the economy anymore. Mm, uh, yes. You know, the, you know it, when we start drawing social security is an entirely separate question from whether we're still participating uh, in the innovation economy or in the creative world. Uh, and for a large share of baby boomers, uh, we're not doing a traditional retirement. Right. You know, we're somehow joining uh, the gig economy and contributing our skills in that way. You know, and I really appreciate you bringing that point to light because there are so many people out there like yourself, Daniel, that have so much to offer. And, you know, your purpose is not done at a certain age and to be told like you're not, you know, you hit this line and that's it. I love how you are approaching this and how you're teaching other people to think like that because it doesn't have to be an end. It's an extension. 
Uh, you know, and for all of talk about business, you know, one of the big lessons in life is, is that while money always matters, money alone is never enough. We also have to pay attention to our health because, health, you know, wealth without health doesn't do us a whole lot of good. Um, but when you look at the people who are really happy in retirement, it's people that have a purpose serving beyond self. I mean, you're going to get bored going golfing eventually, all right? At least I would. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I will golf socially, but it, uh, it was never that entertained. But if I, if I had to depend upon my athletic ability to make a living, I would have starved a long time ago. Mm, yes. <laughs> but people that are purpose-driven in service to others, and that's what entrepreneurship ultimately is, is it's service to others. Even leadership is service to others. It's helping others be successful on our team, okay? That purpose is the most satisfying thing that drives happiness. Wow. And I agree. I, I And I, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. It gives you reason to go to bed happy and a reason to get up and, and win the day. And I think that's a very powerful statement. And I really appreciate, again, that insight. Uh, like I said, let me just give you probably your, your children. And I know you've got some children and grandchildren. Um, they've got to be about the luckiest people in the world to have somebody like you as an example to lead them through that path. And um, for anybody who doesn't have that, I mean, this wisdom, it's its priceless. So thank you for that. Yeah, I've got a daughter who is a leader in cybersecurity. And she kind of got the best of both worlds with uh, her mom and myself. But I, I tell people, um, you know, if uh, uh, my daughter was a Mongol, she'd be leading the horde by now. So. <laughs> Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, this has been an absolute delight. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on this episode today. I appreciate appreciate it, Marlo. And, you know, the podcast like this can be a great piece of education and opportunity for entrepreneurs to see opportunity for themselves. Mm, thank you. So as our valid listeners, we just invite you to share this podcast with others. And we thank you in advance for your partnership. If you enjoyed this episode and it left you feeling inspired, share your biggest takeaway on our Perform and Get Paid community Facebook page. This is where we will engage and respond to your questions. This is Marlo Higgins, your host and Chief Inspirational Officer. Have an awesome rest of your day. Did you enjoy this podcast? If so, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. As your Chief Inspirational Officer, I coach passionate entrepreneurs like you to achieve complete confidence and clarity to reach your one-year goal in 90 days. Learn how you can get more done in less time with my number one proven formula for consistency and clarity. Simply go to go.marlohiggins.com to download. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week on 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo.